Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Manabant podcast. Hello. This is episode 10. Episode 10! Yeah. So excited. This is going to be our uh, special Tolkien episode. Uh, and we've got a very special guest with us today for that as well. It's uh, oh, yes. Jason Dondro. Well, hello. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor to be here again. Hello. Hey, it's, it's, it's been a while. We were just trying to recall how long was it since last time Jason was around. Um, but he's back Before again. we were calling it a podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. in fact, I think, yeah, Jason's interview for, was it Arthur Lips? It might, it probably was, yes. It was yeah. back for the Kickstarter, which, which fortunately was very successful and the game came out. Um, we were able to hire Kara Hamilton to do the graphic design with the money from the Kickstarter. Kara did yes. the graphic design for Rob Schwab's Shadow of the Demon Lord which is a beautiful and very successful game. So she came in and she took all of my materials and made it look amazing. Like the smartest decision I ever made. Awesome. Was, was hiring her for that book. And, uh, and, and I'm really proud of the game. And honestly, it helped, it helped me to make my big career transition because the last time I spoke with all of you, I was uh, an English professor at a small state college in Georgia, the state of Georgia, not the, not the country. Uh, but now, uh, now I am a full-time role-playing game professional. I am a developer on the Starfinder team at Paizo. Awesome. So I work, yeah, it, it's a fantastic job. Uh, I get to write stories about space wizards all day. Uh, mm. So, you know, I have nothing to complain about. But I, I'm on a small team of about six people. And, um, and I work with Jason Keeley to create the monthly adventure paths. Yeah. Be published for Starfinder. And uh, and just recently, just about a few weeks ago, a month ago, I pitched my first adventure path, and I got to outline all six volumes of that and hire freelancers to write it, and the manuscripts are starting to come in, and it's incredibly exciting. It's just really, really super fun. Mm. It's really cool. Nice. So that's what I do now. And in between there, I was an editor at Paizo for about a year and a half, and, uh, and then transitioned. In, and, and a lot of my ability to get on at Paizo is because I had 40 freelance RPG credits already. And especially on something like Arthur Lives, where I had run the Kickstarter and I had done all the writing and I did the art direction with Kara and I did, you know, like, uh, and we, I basically sort of done every, a lot of, not everything, but a great deal of it. Yeah, most of it. <laughs> and and that, um, that and a lot of other of my credits helped to convince them that I was hireable, you know. It's tough in this business because we all love it, and there's a, a million of our fellow nerds who all want jobs like this, and there's just not enough yeah. professional positions available. You know, there's there's more people playing professional basketball in the NBA than there are <laughs> professional role playing game developers, and uh, yeah. and so so it really took a long time. You know, I'm kind of a, a 20 year long overnight success. Uh, you know, you, you, you publish games for 20 years that get 100, that sell a hundred copies until suddenly, um, you break into someplace like Paizo where hundreds of thousands of people play this game every month and it's just fantastic. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, long, a, a long story and I apologize for all that, but yeah, so that's what <laughs> I'm right. doing now. 
No, it's nothing to apologize for. It's good to keep our um, <laughs> listeners, uh, you know, engaged because obviously, like we said, it's been a while. And, you know, a lot of the things that you've said just now resonate with the things we were going through with Chuck just not long ago for his own. Um, that's right. That's um, right. RPG that's, that's about to come out, um, City of Solstice. Yeah, City um, of so, Solstice. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Chuck's a, a longtime veteran. I was delighted to find out that he was on your show, of course. He's got a long old Arthur Lives connection. He gave me my first big break uh, into the RPG business when he agreed to publish the original edition of Arthur Lives back when it was a 220 game. And he's been a big fan of the game ever since and a wonderful supporter and, of course, a dear friend. Uh, yeah, so I'm, and, and City of Solstice is super great. If any of you are listening and you have not heard that show, go back and listen to it because it's super fantastic. Uh, City of Solstice is this sort of noir. Um, like the untouchables kind of in fantasy land. So you've got like fantasy medieval cops uh, yeah. trying to stop medieval organized crime guilds with lots of fantasy elements and magic to it. So it's a really great setting. It is. We're yeah, really, really good. excited to see it coming through. It's it's actually looking really good. I, the updates keep on coming yeah. through, which is really exciting. So yeah, and, yeah. and Chuck knows how to how to put out all this stuff. You know, he oh yeah, he, he knows what he's doing. He has it under control, so that's you know it is it is great, and it's really good for us as well to know that the three projects that we've really tried and encouraged to support, which was you <laughs> that's know, right, lives and and City of Solstice and the After with um with uh, John, um yeah, that was really good as well. So you know it's it's all coming together, which is nice. It is, it is. I'm actually I'm actually writing an adventure for the After. I know, I'm aware. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Facebook stalking. Um, it, it was one of our stretch goals, and. Uh, I just got finished talking with John and and with the uh, the writer on the project whose name I can't believe I'm blanking on. Uh, but I've I've been talking with that team about what this adventure is going to be like, and it looks super fun. And I, I've got some ideas. I can't wait to write it. And uh, and so yeah, you guys are batting a thousand. You, you're you're going to be three for three. That's great. Well, <laughs> it's it is exciting to think so. But um, yeah. Well, anyway, now that you guys are all put up to speed. The topic yeah. for today is the very long-awaited uh, session <laughs> on Tolkien. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting approximately two years to record this <laughs> session. It's fine. It's it's not like I am terribly eager. We started this podcast less than a year ago. <laughs> well, yeah, but the, the original concept for the Tolkien um, sort of big talk came out when we started writing back in 2017. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's long coming. Um, and actually, I, I would like to point out for those of you out there who are listening, you know, we actually left it out to a vote who, you know, what, what to do for episode 10, because it was kind of like ah. a bit of a, you know, landmark, Milestone. I guess. Yeah. Um, so we proposed that it would be either Tolkien or um, RPG deaths, which became a really popular topic um, in one of our previous um, podcast yeah. sessions. And Tolkien just won by a very, very, very long <laughs> so obviously we couldn't uh, we couldn't ignore that and of course the eagerness was there so it's fine but rest assured we will have a session coming back um, in the new year talking about RPG deaths and um, a few people have expressed interest in joining for that so that should be a very special session as well yeah. so just keep your people eyes out people can send in their stories as well we might read them yeah. absolutely so just you know start, start sending them through I'll start collecting them just sort of Picking out the most hilarious ones or the most epic ones, um, but let's let's get down to business and talk about proper <laughs> epic, which That's is right. the fact that the Lord of the Rings is getting adapted to TV. Wow! Yeah, well, 
it, it's it's a very exciting time uh, to be a Tolkien fan. Um, my, um, I don't know what. Maybe I would love to just pass around the hat and find out, like, what was your experience? How did you how did you both get introduced to Tolkien? Like, what is your Tolkien origin story? Uh, should I start? Mine's probably the most straightforward. Yeah, go for it. I'm I'm right in the age group where growing up I was watching the films. Um, oh, the the Jackson films. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah, I'm 25. So yeah, uh, right when I was I was young, uh, I was a bit so, too young, so probably. So that's that's your Gandalf and that's your to your Aragorn are the characters. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lily. See, mine mine is um, not quite like that. Obviously, I did watch the films growing up, and. I remember there was so much hype because, you know, when the films came up, I was, what, nine or ten, something like that. I can't remember. Right. Right. But um, I had actually been a Tolkien fan since the very sweet age of five. Nice. <laughs> my See, dad. <laughs> you had the benefit of having nerdy parents. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> my dad had been a long life Tolkien fan. He used to uh, be the DM for the MERP, for the Middle Earth. RPG yes. and him, my mom and a few friends used to play together and I used to be some of the NPCs. So my dad <laughs> yeah. will will send me to like bother my mom and pretend to be a ghost or or a <laughs> goblin or something like that. It was quite fun. Um, and uh, th that was some that wasn't I guess something that I became really aware of until I was uh, I was a bit older. But what I really remember was my dad reading to me. The yeah. Hobbit, Robert Random, and the Silmarillion, and the story that really stuck with it stuck with me was the Silmarillion out of all of them, which I yeah. know probably sounds really strange for a six, seven-year-old. Yeah. But um. <laughs> oh, maybe not for you though. <laughs> well, are you saying I'm weird? <laughs> Very odd. <laughs> but, but you know, it was um, it was fascinating. I just couldn't help it. You know, if I was nervous, or for example, Christmas Eve uh -huh. and that sort of stuff, my dad used yeah. to um take me to bed and read me Roverandum because I could fall asleep to Roverandum, no problem. But the Silmarillion was a story that I, I felt, um, you know, like when, when we were reading The Hobbit, I remember I used to have a gap between the back of my bed and the wall. And okay. I remember the passage when they're just crossing through Mirkwood and the spiders. Yeah. I couldn't sleep all night because <laughs> I generally thought the spiders were going to creep through there <laughs> and attack me. But I think the, um, the bit that got me that properly got me for good as a little kid yeah. is the moment when um it, well yeah when, when they're starting to tell the story of the Silmarils and we're already with Beren and Luthien and yes. Luthien um tries to enchant Morgoth yes. to to free them and I was just fascinated by the fact that this badass female elf had just come yeah. out of you know the blue for the sake of her father and her, yeah. you know, the love of her life to defeat the big bad guy that a lot of, you know, top dogs had kind of run away from. And I was like, this is awesome. I want to yeah. do magic. But obviously, you yeah. cannot do magic. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, that was that was how I engaged with it. And obviously, when I was, you know, old enough to be able to read it, I read them all on my own. I think I've read The Silmarillion, God knows. I think I'm probably my sixth run at the moment <laughs> yeah. um, and of course the movies came out and they kind of put faces to names which was really helpful yeah. but before that I'm sure Jason you remember there was a um, um, an animated one yeah, yeah. Which I the, rough action, the rough action film exactly and I did actually really love that movie um, but obviously 
you know, the, the Jackson trilogy just take, took it to a new level. Um, yeah. Must say, I was disappointed with the Hobbit films. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. The second two. The first one was, yeah. I believe. The first one was actually, I thought the first one was really good. I was really impressed with um, Gollum, how they had done Gollum and, yeah. you know, the whole scene with... Um, in the dark. Yeah, all of that was great. And actually, all of the dwarves, you know, seeing the dwarves was also pretty cool. Yeah, yeah making them a bit more into characters. Yeah, exactly. But obviously, then things... Uh, I don't know. I never understood the need for three films. Like, it seemed a bit overkill. And, you know, when, when we start putting things into the film that were not in the book and leaving things out in the book, you know, it, it was... Yeah, just, there's a lot of... Bit, right? Yeah, there's a lot of wonderful research that's already been done on how that project transformed from a two-movie project to a three-movie yeah. project. Mm. The, best, the best example of that is Evangeline Lilly, who mm. was recruited into the movie on the condition that she would not have a romantic triangle. I will do this, but I refuse to have a romantic triangle. And they said, okay, there isn't one. And then they added a third movie, and then we got the romantic triangle. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. And that's actually yeah. and, and, and so, like, the whole project drastically changed transformed you know and they well, rewrote it changed director and everything as well didn't it like, well it was yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right then... that's right and i don't really think jackson wanted to direct it frankly yeah uh, i feel like he kind of felt obliged to do it at that point yeah i think so too um his heart wasn't in it and he got quite ill as well through the production of the i think it was if not the first one the second one he was in a hospital was for a stressful, while because yeah. it was yeah. just rushed as well yeah, I um I started with Tolkien when I was a very young lad, um and of course I'm old enough to be your father, so I'm a whole generation <laughs> farther back there. My dad gave me The Hobbit, and we I, we both identified with it. He had a he he was a he's a very handicraft man. You like to make things with his hands, and he uh he made himself a belt buckle that had the word Ent on it, and he made a oh, belt buckle cool. for me that said Bilbo. So. Oh. We would we would wear our our Tolkien belt buckles around all the time, and he, you know, we were that kind of. This was back in the back in the seventies when I was a when I was a kid. Um, oh, the Ralph Bakshi um, Lord of the Rings film is one of the first movies I ever went to see by myself. Ooh. I actually went with a couple of my friends, and uh, and I remember that one of my friends, he, he was like the younger brother of of another friend of mine, and. He kind of got physically ill from all the blood in that Rough Bakshi movie. If you oh, remember, wow. especially yeah, yeah. near the especially near the end with the Riders of Rohan fighting at Helm's Deep, there's yeah. a huge battle sequence and there's just orc blood flying everywhere. Yeah. And uh, and you know I had like this ten year old friend of mine that went to see the movie with me and he got a little bit uh, freaked out by it. But um, but this is a long time ago, of course. Um, I. Uh, I never played Merp because the game system was terrible. Um, oh, yeah, I, it wasn't great. <laughs> I respect your father and mother for playing that game because that was a labor of love is what that was. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But I, but I did – I was very involved with the game, and, um, and I actually wrote a little bit for it at the tail end of Merp. Oh, wow. Um, back in the you – know, Merp went through a couple of phases, and about mm. halfway through its development – a lot of the original creators of the game, the people that just wanted to basically play D&D, &D, but in Middle-earth, yeah. left the game 
And instead, they hired a bunch of writers who really were passionate about maintaining the Tolkien canon and the Tolkien feel. And, one, and a lot of that effort was spearheaded by Chris Seaman, a wonderful writer yeah. who, uh, who did um, the Other Hands fanzine, the magazines of which are all now available oh, yeah. free on the all net. Right. Well, yeah, Chris, Chris and I became friends, and I wrote a couple of articles for Other Hands. All right. And and he recruited me into Merp at the tail end to do a few things. Like I, I remember laboring over um, the Southern Gondor book to try to figure out how big the armies of every province of Gondor was. You oh, know, gosh. stuff like that. Uh, so we spent a lot of time and and trouble on it. And then, um, uh, and and I I I never really got a. Ch I tried to play the the token rpg that followed the one that was based on that was inspired like by movie the movie yeah. yes yeah. right exactly i think it was a d20 system if i remember well it, it wasn't no it wasn't d20 it was um that's the the new one the current one is oh system. right yes, wonderful but but this was i think a last unicorn book i think maybe ah uh, uh, yes i know which and one. uh and and this game system is is stands out in my my long experience of rpgs because i ran that thing in three different campaigns and mm. every time i could not get that game system to work it was a crashing train wreck <laughs> every single time and sure um, that was going to go for a second <laughs> and, and it's, it's it's unusual because like i i really think that the people were working very hard on the setting material and and all of that all of the work they did on the the game setting was wonderful but the system itself was just terrible even and, and anyway, so I, I could not get it to work. And when I can't get a game system to work, that's telling me something. So, yeah. uh, so that that was in, an interesting experience. But then, um, oh yes, a, about five or six years back, we've got the uh, the One Ring uh, RPG, yep. and then the Adventures in Middle Earth game. And I love the hell out of that game. And I recently got to freelance a little bit for it on a project that has not been announced yet. Uh, oh. Yeah, wow. but that was a Wait, wonderful which one, adventures or uh it's it so um of course the one ring game is currently its second edition is about to come out. Yeah. And they're still writing a lot of material for for the game which is getting converted into Adventures in Middle Earth and Yes. Uh, the way the way that they work it is is they only hire freelancers to do the the one ring version mm -hmm. and then they use in-house people to convert everything over and do yes, the D20 yeah, yeah. version. So I got hired to do a, 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 a one chapter of a of a book that's coming out for for tour that Sweet. has not yet been announced. Yeah, working on when that's coming out because I love that game. Yeah, I I totally will. Um, when I, I I have to tell you, being paid to write something for Tolkien, it was one on my bucket list. You know, like that was <laughs> yeah. that was phenomenal. So, and I've had the very good pleasure of being able to teach lord of the rings uh in my classrooms and and i've written uh about it from an academic sense and i played the hell out of like the lord of the rings online game and all that stuff yeah. where i blocked <laughs> i blogged on that game for a long time uh, so yeah i've had a long connection with lord of the rings and i i do really love it but i guess we should get back to our uh, back to the the television show well, I am talk about the RPGs for a bit, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're um... they're great games. I, I mean, Adventures in Middle Earth. I don't know if anybody, uh, you know, those of you that are listening, if you haven't been keeping up with it. Like, I I have some trouble with the tour game. It's an interesting game, but it makes some weird game design decisions that I wouldn't personally have done. But uh, 
but what they did with the Adventures of Middle Earth, where they take the basic D20 fifth edition D&D engine, and then they, they change it and they change it to make it fit Tolkien so that, well, the best example I can give uh, of the way that the game has changed. If you think about D&D, the sort of archetypal D&D adventure, hmm. where you go to the dungeon and you might have a you might have to travel a bit to get to the dungeon, but it's largely hand-waved, you know, like you'll get some wandering monsters, maybe or you'll have some random encounters as you go, as you go to the adventure location, but that's all kind of prequel stuff. That's not, that's, that's the introduction. That's not yeah. the ma- the meat of the adventure. And then you get to the dungeon and from a game design aspect, the dungeon is basically a flow chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're, you're, are you going to go left and fight the orcs? Or are you going to go right and fight the owlbear? Right. And then your goal is to get through the flowchart, expending resources as you go through the flowchart until you get to whatever is at the bottom of the flowchart, the, the, the thing you're after or the big boss or, you know, the magic portal or whatever it is, the thing that you're trying to get to. And then you have this sort of confrontation climactic moment. And, and that's where you use the last of your saved resources and, you know, the barbarian dies or whatever. <laughs> and... And so that, that's kind of the basic, and there's a lot of variations. And everybody's game is different. And, and if you're thinking, well, that doesn't describe my game, that's wonderful, great. But I'm just talking about the sort of archetypal D&D experience. And this is true. Yeah. The outline that I've just described is true of every edition of D&D. The edition doesn't really matter. Uh, as long as you're swinging your sword and you're hitting an owlbear and you're rolling a 20 and getting a critical hit, it's pretty much D&D to me. Yep. Yep. That's, that produces D&D well, to the core. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well... So Adventures of Middle-Earth changes that because now the journey is the flowchart. Yes. So instead of, like, there are dungeons in Middle-Earth, and Moria is the archetypal mega-dungeon, and it always will be. And, and it, it's funny how we talk about the influences of Lord of the Rings on D&D, mm. and we like to talk about halflings and tree ants and all of these other things that are obviously taken from D&D. But Moria is the archetypal mega dungeon. Uh, but anyway, now instead, just getting to the adventure location is actually most of the adventure. Yeah. And, and, you, and you expend resources on the journey. One of the great innovations about Adventure Middle is that you, you don't get to take a long rest if you're in the middle of the wilderness. Nope. You, you, yeah. So, and you know all this. Forgive me. You've, you've played all these things. But, um, <laughs> But you, you, so you sort of, you're expending hit points and, and, uh, and spell slots and, or you don't, well, there's no spell slots, but anyway, um, you're expending your, your, your resources just to get to the adventure location. And if you're lucky, you have like havens on the way where you can get a long rest and get your stuff back. And then once you get to the adventure location, you're already kind of at the bottom of the flow chart. There's like one or two big encounters. And that's, you know, there might be a little tiny dungeon with like two or three rooms in it or whatever. That's kind of the climactic moment. So it's, it's a big transformation in the way that the game feels and plays. And I think yeah. they did a really good job with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I find it interesting that you prefer Adventures in Middle Earth because um, yeah. I, I love the One Ring. Um, Me too. I mean, yes, I am good. good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lily's not a huge fan of D&D. Um, I'm, you know, I play D&D regularly at the moment, but I my actual favorite RPG is The One Ring. Yeah, well, so I'm, I, I, I admit to a purely personal bias on this because while The One Ring was being written, 
I I was solicited for playtest feedback. So mm-hmm. I had a I had a playtest version of the game. Yeah. And I read I read through it all and I made this long, like sort of hour-long kind of audio recording of comments and feedback and stuff from my players and stuff from my game. And I, I did a, I put a lot of work into it. My players worked really hard. And I sent all of that stuff in and it went into a big black hole that I that you know <laughs> oh. no one funny. It's funny you say that because our friend Mike, who's been on the podcast a lot, has pretty much the same yeah. story with the game. Same experience. So it yeah. appears they didn't take feedback very well, which is unfortunate. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but bugs, regardless, I do love that game. It bugs the hell out of me that the song skill is tied to your stamina. Right, okay. Well, I mean, you know, right? you've got to have good breath control. No, no, but all <laughs> of the greatest singers... Okay, Lily, you just talked about how Luvian... Is what got yeah. you into the into the setting. Does Lubian yeah. have high stamina? Is that her highest stat, really? No. And as a no, card player, I must say that stamina all, all should the, never be the stat for song. Duh. All of, the <laughs> all of the characters that sing in Lord of the Rings have low stamina. Every one of yeah. them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Shit like that bugged the hell out of me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's not perfect, of course, <laughs> but I mean. Like I said, this, Purely personal bias. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fair enough. Personal bias does have an imp- like you know we all <laughs> yeah. personal bias yeah, always yeah. has an impact in games. I mean it's the same reason and, why I hate D and D. You know personal bias. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's, it's, but, for, but for me, um, the One Ring has got a special place in my heart because uh, that's good. I've only been playing RPGs seven or eight years. Um, okay. And I think pretty much as the One Ring was coming out, I was thinking. Oh, I should start maybe try and uh, DM something. So I was looking yeah. at, you know, what would be easiest for me? Oh, I'm familiar with Lord of the Rings and stuff. So sure. I looked yeah, at Merp, I look at looked at the movie tie in one. And then yep. it turned out the One Ring had just come out. So I just went, yep. screw Good. it, I'm buying that. Um and since then I've loved it. I have enormous respect for the writing on these books. I, I think yeah. they're wonderfully I mean I, little quibbles with the game system aside. There's wonderful innovations. The whole idea of like the fellowship phase and the fact that yeah. the game moves like basically one year for every session of play, where mm. approximately. This is great. This is should not be new to gaming. And in fact, there are other games that have done this. Pendragon yep. uh, is is the archetypal example, I think, where mm. the, the the overall timeline of the game moves pretty rapidly, but. Mm. But um, One Ring implemented it in a wonderful way, and and the people that are shepherding and taking care of the the Tolkien setting for that game are doing a wonderful job. Oh yeah, it's so great. I'm not surprised that you love it. I'm glad that's good. <laughs> I mean, I find even with the game mechanics, though, the, the fact that it's been built to actually fit the setting, um, yes, changes things yeah. for me. Like like yeah. you were saying with the whole journey system, that's a yep. huge thing in the One Ring. Um, it is. It, yeah. It's and it's smart. And like the whole idea, like well. And it's where you get somebody who sort of looks at The Hobbit or looks at Lord of the Rings and says, what does this source material tell us about what the game should be doing? Yeah. Right? The problem with Merp was, was that the, the authors just wanted to basically do d In fact, it was. It was their d and yeah. campaign. Yeah. But it was set in Middle Earth. And so they were just doing all the same stuff you do in D&D. You know, they were exploring great big mega dungeons and gathering treasure. And you know, kind of murder hobos, and and that's that doesn't work that's in Middle Earth. Com- well, it's a complete. I mean, you can play it, but it's not really Middle Earth, exactly. right? Like if you're gonna if you're gonna Middle Earth, you need to embrace what the genre really is. 
So yeah, um, that's that's it's a good game. It's a it's yeah. it's a wonderful game. Yeah. See, I think yeah. that may be the reason why my dad won me over to Merp rather than D&D yeah. because my my yeah. dad hated the idea that it was essentially D&D but on Middle Earth. Yes. Yes. So he actively yeah. went out of his way to make it a different thing. I mean, my dad is a, a wonderful DM. Like I generally yeah. You know, I I know that I'm biased because I'm his daughter, but no, seriously, my, <laughs> my I've I've, you should be biased. <laughs> I've never met anyone that could DM like him, and everything I know about DMing pretty much comes from him. And you know, he he genuinely went out of his way to adapt the system in a way that things yeah. would be smoother, uh, to make campaigns that actually didn't mean we are just playing D and D, but actually yeah. you know, giving the characters a chance to develop and go through the journey. And, and they had. And, they had so many good people working on that game. I mean, if you look back at the old Mert books, they're all illustrated by Liz Danforth. Yes. Who was a actually... genius. Like, uh, she, her, her hand is gold. Like, I, what, everything she touches is just gold. Well, and... we, uh, we are very devoted to Liz here as well, because Liz is actually oh, yeah? good friends with Mike. So, oh, um, that's Wonderful. Yeah, Liz has a spot. In fact, I have a few centimeters away from my hand, I have a... <laughs> Magic the Gathering cards signed by Liz. One of my favorite oh, Magic the Gathering cards, the Hymn to Torridge. So yes, Liz, Liz and Lord of the Rings forever. Yeah, yeah. Her art on, on that whole project is just classic and it defined. So, you know, you, um, Alex, your version of Gandalf and, and Aragorn, you know, with the characters from the film. Yeah. But, but for me, my version of a lot of these characters came from the Obakshi movie. And Okay. Uh, oh, that wasn't my first exposure to them, but that was the first time I'd ever. Oh, actually, you know what? I take it back. Now that I think about it, the Hildebrandt brothers' calendars. Oh. The, the, brother, the brothers Hildebrandt did these annual Tolkien calendars. Yes, they did. They were and, epic. And when I was a kid, that was the first visual interpretation of any of these characters. And I remember Aragorn had this sort of swashbucklery floppy hat, which yeah. nowadays nobody would give him. But to me, that yeah. was Aragorn. Um, anyway, wonderful stuff. Nice. Yeah. So, um, the latest, the, the newest news, of course, is since since Christopher Tolkien took his hands off of the Tolkien estate, hmm. that has uh, made a lot of the other um, Middle Earth material available for licensing, and that's the only reason why we're getting this Amazon show. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, of course, it's not the Lord of the Rings. No. At all, right? It's no, it. it the second age. They did a long, yeah. They did a long tease that eventually revealed that it's basically the fall of Numenor, second age. Um, still kind of an assumption, I think. It's all just based on maps for the most well, part, isn't it? Maps and a few other hints. It's it's all yeah. I mean, let's face it. It's all based on the maps and hints because yeah. I yeah. remember that when things originally came through, it kind of seemed that they were trying to steer the story towards uh, talking about uh, sort of young Aragorn, right? And his youth yeah, and the development of all of that. Yeah, but... I think we, we all sort of thought that the, that the at first, that the show would be set in the interregnum period, the 80-year yeah. period, the same period that One Ring game is yeah. set. Yeah. Yeah. The 80-year period between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which is a wonderful a time period. to play. Yeah, it's a great period. It's um, familiar, but there's room to do. Yeah, you know, a I lot of the familiar yeah. characters are out there. You can you can use Aragorn and Gandalf and Legolas and and Glowin and and Balin and all of these other characters from both of, from all of that. Um, you know, Galadriel is there. Uh, all Elrond, all of those characters. Arwen, Galadriel's they're, they're all there. there. 
and yeah, um, but uh, but I, I think there was an early. I remember that there was an early statement that well, I don't know. I don't think we're going to do that. Like, so I, I didn't really know what it was going to be. My long hope when they started to show the maps, and I'm going to get back to so for those of you that that had not don't know what we're talking about, the Amazon Lord of the Rings show did this sort of Twitter advertising campaign yeah. where, um they released the map by filling in little pieces of it a bit at a time. Yeah. And, uh, and they cheated. They really <laughs> <Because> did. <laughs> they, they really cheated because at first they, they drew the coastline and they started adding details and okay, well, but it wasn't until the very last reveal that they added the entire Island of noon. Yeah. yeah. Which, so. You know, if, yeah. If you were going to draw the coastline, you should have drawn that from the beginning. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but anyway, was... but but that's just because they made my guess that uh, my guess was wrong. But so I'm just I'm just, <laughs> I'm just resentful. Oh. But anyway, what I wanted it to be, and what I was really excited for, was the fall of Arthedane, mm-hmm. the the uh, you know the third age story that involves mm-hmm. the the final fall of the North Kingdom. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and 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 the reason why I loved it is because a lot of the characters are still around. There's a Shire for Christ's sakes. Like, how yeah, can you do a, a, a how can you do a Middle Earth story without hobbits in it? I thought no one's going to be stupid enough to do a, a a Middle Earth story without hobbits in it. And then here here we're gonna here we go. Well, so, I hope they don't decide. Oh, let's put hobbits in anyway. <laughs> oh, don't, yeah. don't. <laughs> or, or, they, or maybe they'll do like an origin story for the hobbits because <laughs> we don't know where they come from. Well, I mean that could be pretty cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that, but I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'll be terribly yeah, impressed later, if though. that's the entire, you know, the entire <laughs> yeah. aim of the show. It's no, I doubt it. But... To give the hobbits well, an actual origin story, I, I, I don't I re- think I would I remember, digest that well. I remember watching the Lord of the Rings films, and in the first film in the Fellowship. We see Aragorn wearing that ring. You remember the yes. ring of Barahir? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I remember watching that and I'm saying, and I pointed and said, that's the ring of Barahir. And somebody in the room was like, who the hell was Barahir? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, sit you down. I'm gonna tell Go you read a book. Have you got time? <laughs> yeah. And, and so I told this whole story about, you know, the, 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 um, the low soft up, you know, the Tolkien's version of, of Native American Eskimos. And, yep. and, and uh, and this amazing story, and and it, and and I I just love that whole story, and so the the fact that they could they could have done the show that actually would tie in to the Lord of the Rings because it would be yeah. kind of the same ring, you know, and it and and not just the Ring of Barrier, but there's a bunch of other connections too. Yeah, but I mean, anyway, there would have been a lot of stuff to that. work with with uh, young yeah, because he was all over the place. Yes, um, uh, but instead but we're yeah. going to get Second Age. Yeah, I mean, I was quite happy when they said, you know, that was going to be, or, or when they teased that was going to be the, the case, because I thought maybe what they would try and do is yeah. actually telling us the story of how the ring, you know, yeah. if you're, if you're going to talk about the Lord of the Rings, well, there is one yes. key item that yeah. you kind of can't miss, and it's the ring, and actually tell us about the forging of the rings, Celebrimbor, yeah. Sauron actually being the I top thought, dog, yeah. because that's the thing that we haven't seen. We've just seen a bloody right. eye. I want you know, the semi-god of doom that is nowhere near as scary as most people think he is. You know, I yeah. want to see that. I want to see him meddling in the affairs of absolutely yeah. everyone and actually seeing how that entire story develops. Because yeah, again, it like... has a lot of the characters that we know about. You know, it has 
Yeah. Elves, it has, well, Gandalf Elrond. sort of on, on a tangent, not really there, but on a tangent. Um, you know, there is a lot of other characters that can come into the story to play a very strong role that will bring, you know, new faces and whatnot. Because I guess one of the biggest challenges for this show is casting. You know, everyone has seen now the Jackson movies, and yeah, there is no yeah. way, I mean, I mean, you know, technology is amazing, but I sincerely doubt they will be able to get, you know, the same people that played Elrond and Galadriel yeah. to look even <laughs> even younger than they did in The Hobbit. Yeah, that's um, the thing. So, you know, how are you going to justify it? And that is really, you know, uh, an interesting, you know, an interesting thing. How are they going to, or, or you know, if they were going to do something like young Aragorn or other uh, periods where Gandalf may be prominent, how can you take the risk yeah. to make someone take the lead after, you know, um, that mm -hmm. apotheosic Ian McKellen? It's, well, well it's, I'm it's, not going to say impossible, but it's difficult to follow that up. Yeah, it, it's difficult, but there is plenty of precedent. I mean, we did get a new, um, you know, Professor Dumbledore. We've got new... You know, yeah. other characters have James Bond gets replaced every ten years. You know, so well, yeah, it's true. We, but, but I, I, I mean, I'm not even compared to Gandalf. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but instead, <laughs> instead, I think we're going to get almost an entirely new cast. Uh, there'll yes. be almost nobody that we recognize in this I show, know. and I'm happy for uh, that. I believe yeah, there's uh, been some like names thrown around with yeah. casting, so they some of them have yeah, some people have been cast, but the character names. That I have seen have all been new. Yes, exactly. Mm. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 So, so there's. Um, carry on. We, sorry. We don't have a we don't have a casting for Celebrimbor yet, for example. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which I would love to see. Uh, in fact, it's funny because um, I think Angus McBride, uh, the artist, did a cover for the old Middle Earth role playing game, Treasures of Middle Earth, and it's got it's got a portrait of Celebrimbor on the cover. And he's like the this most massive, muscular hunk of an elf you have ever seen. <laughs> he's complete. He's completely bare chested. He has on like his blacksmith. Uh, yeah, um, he's a smith. Uh, yeah, and and he's he's got the big gloves on, and he's holding up tongs with the ring. Yeah, I know that. Or, or a ring, I should say, a ring in it. And he's he's like like if I ever had a man crush, it was on that painting. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and it, it was just wonderful. And so I've always imagined Brimbor as being like this super buff elf, and uh, you know, a blacksmith elf. And uh, and I would love to see, I would love to see it the show that you've described. Though well, I don't know. know it, one of the reasons why I thought they may have gone down that route as well is because obviously there has been two games that have been really successful. But it's, it's Shadow of uh, it Shadow of Mordor and. Yeah, and That's Shadow right. of War. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean yeah. yeah. So that I mean, kind of touches upon that story. <laughs> yeah, but that yeah. kind of touches upon that story. It's and got obviously, prominently. If it, you're yeah. thinking of the audience, and obviously this is something I can't ignore that because it, you know it's part of my trade. So if you're thinking of the audience, again, you know, some kids that are now what, ten, twelve, may have not yeah. been, you know, growing up with Jackson movies, but they may have grown up with the video games and they were quite successful. I, mean, I don't know if kids it... should be playing that game. It's a bit gory. <laughs> no, but then again, kids shouldn't probably be playing Fortnite and there they are. So, eh, there well, you to go. To be honest, it's... actually, though, with this series, I do hope it's a bit more... Um, yeah, gritty. Gruesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I don't want to have to mention it, but, you know, Game of Thrones was a thing. I can't yeah. think sure. they're going to try and, you know, capitalize on the tone of that. Uh, 
just very I, I, I want to get back to this idea of like Game of Thrones versus this setting but one um yeah. but very briefly about 10 or 15 years ago you know when the Lord of the Rings online first came out mm. um the the major the overarching plot line was actually hooked into Celebrimbor and the yeah. the villain of that game was Celebrimbor's daughter oh. uh mm. who gets yes. seduced by Sauron and uh and turned and turned to evil. Uh, you you explored this through this long series of, sort of flashback adventures, where your character flashes back to the time period of Celebrimbor, and you you sort of walk through a lot of those scenes. So yeah, there's something really compelling about that. And uh, I never I never saw that storyline because I only ever played as a hobbit and just hung around in the Shire. <laughs> yeah, which was a that's lot what of I wanted fun. to do. <laughs> Yeah, um, that game was wonderful for its community. Like you could just hang around the Shire, and yeah. run, deliver mailbags and pies, yeah. and, uh, and and everyone was really helpful and support. It's a really great, really great community. Um, but but to get back to your your point about your question, really about what is the influence of Game of Thrones going to be mm. on on yeah. this on this this show? I believe they've um, got some writers. I think some of sure. the creator, some of the creative team made a move. Yeah. Um, I don't think there were any of the sort of big names. No, no. I think yeah. Some of the not. people running <laughs> in the background. And actually, I mean, I could be just talking rubbish. If I remember correctly, some of the people doing, you know, costume scenery and whatnot, yes, were yeah. signed up. And that I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing because you know, no. as much as I don't like Game of Thrones, the TV show was beautiful. Yeah. It was and, yeah. well done. Know, it worked exactly. Um... From the from the point of view of, of the visual appeal, it was yeah. good. Yes. And if that is what they're gonna move forward and do, then I'm happy with that. Yes. Also like... there's uh one of the actors that's announced was in Game of Thrones as well. Oh Which nice his name is Joseph Maul, who was oh, Benjamin yeah. Stark, which is uh, uh, yes. the uh, Ed Stark's brother, who was in the Night's Watch. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I remember when I was watching the, the director's commentary on the Jackson films, there was a lot, a lot of conversation about Jackson's approach to the films. And he was like, don't think of it like we're making a fantasy movie, because if you, if you think of it like that, yeah, you'll do all. You'll fall into all of these terrible fantasy movie tropes, yeah, cliches and whatnot. In, instead, instead, he said, "Think of it like we're making a documentary." Yeah, we're making mm. a movie set in this place that actually existed. It makes and sense because that's what the books are we're, doing. Yeah, and we're trying to recreate. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about. It, or a lot of fans don't understand that Middle Earth is actually our Earth, just a very, very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus all the books are meant to be like historical accounts. Yeah. That's right. And, that's right. And, and, and that's the reason yeah. why there is so much detail and why people hate it. But then I guess <laughs> if you're missing the point, well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the books themselves are a kind of lost manuscript, which, mm. which is a wonderful trick as a writer because it means that you can never really make a mistake. Yeah. yeah. So if, if there's an inconsistency, you're like, well, how come Legolas's hair is black in this moment, but it's blonde in another? Yeah, and you're like, well, I guess Sam just wrote the wrong words. Yeah, right? happens in <laughs> historical accounts all the time. It's, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and so it 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 gives a great a great in layer of insulation between yeah. the the original can. But anyway, um, but it makes it feel real. It does, yeah. and I'm hoping that maybe they'll learn from that other version 
of Lord of the Rings that was very successful. You know, they'll learn from the Jackson movies and say, what did they do right? Because I, 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 I have some issues with the Jackson movies, but yeah, I thought that they were the 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 earlier the movie, the better it is, in my opinion. Right. Um, but uh, but the visual stuff, like the the creation of the world and the yeah. all the Weta Workshop stuff, and yeah. like all of that is just fantastic. I I, I uh, that's why I wanted to run that game, the uh, the movie tie-in game, because. I suddenly had all this amazing visuals that I could show the players, mm-hmm. and I could say, "This is what Rivendell looks like," and yeah. you know, and and it was one the, recreating the world was done fantastic, and I would amazing, I, yeah. I hope that they learn from that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they have got uh, the artist uh, John John Howell. John yes, Howell, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was working on the Jackson movies. He was um, along with uh, what's the other artist's name who's done a lot of the illustrations. And I should know that name, but I can't um, remember. Is it another John? Uh, anyway. No, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, there, there was an English guy and a Canadian guy. They've got the Canadian okay. for, the, for this series. Um, <laughs> okay, he's he's credited with doing a lot of the um, like character designs, uh, yeah. yeah, things like that. And uh, I've seen people say that a lot of the like, um, which is very important to me, the weapons and armor in the film. <laughs> of course, weapons, being, and armor. yeah. Being not just you know typical fantasy rubbish, but being grounded in reality and making it that more believable as well. It's yeah, I love I love the way a lot of those the, designs. So the I remember the elven shields and swords. Yeah, oh, they were so uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, they were cool, and and also they told the story. Like, okay, yes. we're gonna give these elf shields, but they're gonna, they're gonna look like fallen autumn leaves. Yeah, because mm-hmm. because the elves are fading, and I'm like. Mm-hmm. That is just like when you can make the weapons tell the story, you are doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And the Gondorian armor and everything. It's all just, you know, it's it's unique, but it's realistic. Um, it is. So I hope because they've got him doing a lot of the concept nice. art and things like that again. Um, I hope it's got a similar. I mean, they're not obviously not going to copy it, but um, right. I hope they take some inspiration there. Well, we have to do Numenor. I mean, that's the new challenge, right? Yeah, is exactly, that, yeah. Uh, we, we've got the whole Numenorian thing, and I think you're right. I mean, the obvious thing to do is the actual forging of the rings. Yeah. And I, well. I guess if, if we were plotting it, we would have the actual rings being made yeah. at the end of the first yeah, season. Yes. Yeah, it, and, and then you can have the proper fall of Numenor and see why all of this happens. I yeah. think that would make some There'll sense. There'll have to be some time I, jumps, obviously. Yeah. There will. I mean, uh, the other question is, you know, how long is, you know, is it going to be just a one-off series? Is it going to go on for a while? Because obviously I, that gives you a different scope. And it's difficult to judge because, you know, with these things, you never know if it's going to run for one season, 3,000 or... I think no, they're, they're planning to go for a long run with it. I think that's the they're plan. They're spending so much money. Spent, like it's so, yeah, I mean... There's a number a flying around of a billion um, dollars being Gee. allocated for yeah, it. Yeah, that's. Um, I don't know if that includes the like 500 million to acquire the rights or not, but. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> um, so that might be half of it gone right there, but um, mm. yeah. So there's, well, there's big fans, obviously. The and the, the thing that you brought up about the time situation—that's a real yeah. challenge. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because if they it, add in human it, characters and then they want to do a time jump, 
We just say that's goodbye to them. Really quick. Well, but we'll carry well, on with yeah. our elf characters. <laughs> Not necessarily, because remember, we're dealing with Numenorians here. Yeah, and they live a long time. Yeah. So their lifespan is hundreds is two hundred years. You know, so yeah. I mean, it's lessened by that point. But yeah, you know, well, depends you know on which Numenorian you're talking about. <laughs> you know what they might kind of do it like is they might do it like the Crown. Okay. Where um, uh, the you know, Netflix series. The, the the that's right the the television series where yeah you use like a particular cast and you use them for a couple of years and then you skip into the future Ahead. and you yeah. recast everybody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, i mean and, it's and not that, a bad approach that might that yeah. might so be almost like an ensemble show yeah yeah almost um, like a collect, collection of stories i thought that may have been another route for the show you know kind of not pastiche, but obviously there is so many different storylines and they don't all conclude at the same point. Um, yeah. What not? That it could be maybe a, a way of doing it. Then, of course, the duration of the episodes themselves is determining, yeah. you know, what you can do. Because if we're going to have our long episodes, then obviously the pacing is going to be completely different. I hope, I sincerely hope they're going for that at least at least 40 to 50 minutes episodes if not more it needs yeah because, you know if you're doing that you can almost afford to do a mini movie in every single episode mm-hmm. and give those characters that development but then again it's too many incognitas now to kind of start you know i i have my wishful thinks thinking so what <laughs> i would like to see on the screen and how it will happen and whatnot yeah. but obviously uh you know at this and at the same time you know we need to remember these people are are running a show to make money yeah. out of it so it's it's tricky my one concern though and we've kind of touched upon that briefly yeah uh, but my one concern and i know jason and i have kind of talked about this in passing is the fact that because christopher tolkien is no longer yeah. overseeing yeah. you know any of the operations really i mean let's face it yeah. the man is really old and you know kudos yeah. to him for having been going for as long as he has this is yeah. really great but obviously, the issue that we're having now is that all that control and meticulousness, because, you know, mm. for those of you who no, don't know, Christopher Tolkien wasn't just, you know, J.R. Tolkien's son. He was an academic of his own right with a background right. in literature, in fantasy, in translation and understanding stories and adapting them to you know, fit purpose. You know, yeah. he is behind all of the new releases. I mean, I have them in front of me of the new, new quote unquote. Tolkien books, yeah. which are essentially him going through everything that his dad had written and never truly finished, refining it, explaining it, and giving it purpose. Now, yeah. if you don't have someone like that saying, yes, you can do that, no, you can't do that, right? you know, there is a potential there for things to be, I don't know, manipulated perhaps less yeah. carefully I and mean... maybe coming across in a, I don't know, I don't really know what the real danger could be with that because it looks to me like since since this handover has taken place and some of the other members of the Tolkien state have sort of taken over that there has been a lot of um i guess i don't know what you might call it but they they've said things a lot looser yes um, and that is noticeable in some other aspects a lot of you know merchandise some other licenses that they've been given here and there and the results are, I mean, it's still cool, of course, it's still interpretations of the sort of Tolkien universe, but they are not as, mm-hmm. faithful is not the word, I guess, 
authentic encompassing and authentic you know so well-rounded and so truly inspired by by Tolkien's own mm-hmm. you know world and imagination I guess that's really my my one sort of fear you know how how does that put the entire industry uh they do have uh Tom Shippey oh uh, yes Tom Shippey is great he's, he's a wonderful fella he's yeah he's awesome. working with it yeah um well there's a couple of issues going on. I need, I need to go back to something I was talking about. It's important for everybody to remember that there's two different licenses from the Tolkien yes. estate. Sure. That one of these goes back to the 1970s, the Saul Zates uh, uh, business. Everything that we had that was licensed to Tolkien, everything before Christopher Tolkien took his hands off. Mm-hmm all came from this 1970s license. And the Tolkien estate, the actual Tolkien family and Christopher Tolkien, had nothing to say about any of it. It was all through this secondary license, uh, doing business as the Tolkien estate. And that's where all the role-playing games and the movies and everything came out of that. And, And Christopher Tolkien could say what he liked or didn't like, but he had no authority over how that license was used. Yeah. I, I don't remember all the details um, of how that what that license was originally based on, but but the Tolkien estate um, gave this other fellow and and I, I get his name pronounced wrong every time I try to say it, so I'm not going to try again. But <laughs> uh, he had a he had a license for like um, some aspect of of Lord of the Rings, and essentially everything has been based on a, on that license through a very very broad interpretation. Um, but but now that Christopher Tolkien has stepped down, the actual Tolkien family estate has agreed to start licensing things on their end. So, and if they're hiring Shippy, and they've hired a bunch of other people. They love the material. You know, I I've seen a lot of. There's been a lot of adaptations of very high profile intellectual property lately. Mm-hmm. Not just Lord of the Rings yeah. or, or Game of Thrones, but I'm even thinking of the recent Watchmen show oh, okay. that Lindelof is running. And yeah. I really think that I think that the producers have come to understand that you have to hire somebody who sincerely loves the material. Yes. Yeah, someone who's going to respect yeah. Are they going to love it the same way you and I love it? Probably not. <laughs> but, but I believe that they're going to be approaching it in good faith. Yeah, now, we hope so, yeah. Yeah, now that doesn't mean that we're going to agree with every decision that gets made. No, of course, uh, and that's never possible. If, but if, so for example, it, it, to go back to your comparison to Game of Thrones, if they try to sexy up Numenor... Oh, God, I'll be so pissed off. I'm going to be right really up. pissed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's Just why right Numenor fell. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh... yeah. Yeah, there, there, <laughs> they've got some room is. there, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is. There, there's there is an opportunity here to sort of, you know, because Numenor's final days are. are I've always kind of reminded me of of Elric of Melnibonet's, like yes. Melnibonet's final days. You know, where yes. it it gets all kind of corrupted and debauched. You know, and there's sort of this decadence that settles in. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, but but Tolkien's vision of that decadence is very different than Moorcock's version of that decadence. <laughs> well, yeah, drastically, and, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the creators go with it. But I, I'm in, I'm excited to watch it, and and uh, yeah, 
I am cautiously optimistic. It, another show that I want to compare it to, and nobody watched this show, and it's already been canceled, I think, and that's um, the, the television show Krypton, which was all about Superman's home planet. All right. And the fact is, is that we know almost nothing about Krypton, right? Mm-hmm. We know like the yeah. names of three people that ever lived on Krypton. And so they had to invent everything. Well, it's kind of like that in Numenor. I mean, we have the names of some kings. Yeah, yeah. and we've got like but... one or two details of like, you know. Yeah, but we know almost nothing, and especially all the women. Like yeah. virtually oh, yes. every female character has to be created from scratch. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Because Tolkien doesn't tell us the names of anybody except like a handful of queens, right? Who, yeah. or or rightful women who should have been should have inherited but got passed over. Yeah, uh, and, and and so I'm really interested to see what gets created there. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity for somebody to actually be playing. Is it Anatar? Uh, the, mm-hmm. well, is that the name of Sauron when he's on? Yes. Yeah. The Lord uh, of Gifts. The Lord of Gifts, that's it, yes. <laughs> so we, we have some really great opportunities there. Whoever gets that role is obviously going to just sink their teeth into it, you know, mm-hmm. because you get to play Sauron. Uh, but, but we also have to see Sauron, I mean, presumably, we have to see him get taken to Numenor in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Which means we have the story of our Farazan, and when he travels to Middle-earth to conquer it, and Sauron is already on Middle-earth, right? He's already in Mordor. Yeah. But he's confronted with this overwhelming military force, and he just surrenders. I mean, are they going to show us that? Yeah. That would be cool. I mean... But... <laughs> yeah, it seems See, pretty the, important. It the does. The part that I like is that, it, I mean, the more I think about it, it, there is no way in which this show, whichever way they do it, in my opinion... Yeah. Can run without having a strong villain, a strong yeah. Tolkien villain. Oh, well, yeah. And that is your bad guy. Yeah. And the thing is, neither really, realistically, neither yeah. the Lord of the Ring films or the Hobbit films yeah. have had that. I mean, we've had some orcs and some Urukai, and sure, okay, we had um, Saruman. Yeah. But, but it's. <laughs> but it's not really a villain, is it? It's. Yeah. Well, it's so this the is. The idea exactly... of the monster. If you see what I mean in that concept, this, this is, we don't have you know, the, the overarching. Yeah, this is exactly the challenge that Jackson faced, right? Yeah. And that's why he emphasizes Saruman so much in the first yeah. two films. Because he felt like the movie needed a bad guy and he couldn't use a big floating eye. Yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah the, the floating eye was also trying to make it more of a direct villain as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Because you wouldn't yeah, have well, much for Sar- Sauron at all. The the weird thing is, and of course you, we know why Jackson did that because he wanted to show you Sauron. He wanted to show Sauron. Yeah. But Sauron is not actually a big floating eyeball in Lord of the Rings. No. He's much more like the vision of Sauron of Sauron that we see in the first fifteen minutes of Fellowship of the yeah. Ring, yeah. when he's this giant armored figure that like kills half an army with his mace, right? Like yeah, yeah. That's the vision of Sauron that the the physical incarnation of Sauron. And they were planning to have him at the uh, yeah, back at the Black Gate, weren't they? So that's right. Yeah. That, that one version of the script, which I which I don't want either. No, but yeah. Can, but they but literally had Aragorn right. facing off with him, and then yeah. they turned him into a into a troll instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and uh, and all of this is 
Hollywood filmmakers yeah. trying to merge Tolkien's writing with what they think of as Hollywood must do's. Yeah. yeah. Right. Absolutely. You have to have a physical bad guy for them to fight. So how do we turn Sauron yeah. into a bad guy? And to their credit, they didn't. They yeah. they remained more true to the to the to the book, at least in that respect. I mean, I'll yeah, never I forgive them for well. Faramir. Yeah, I'll I'll never forgive them for what they did to Faramir. But <laughs> oh no, yeah. But uh, or even or even um, uh, Denethor, who, yeah, who is a much more uh sympathetic character in the novel. Sympathetic but yeah. flawed, but in the movie sympathetic he's just insane. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who, in the book, he's like, I never, I don't go to sleep without my sword on. Yeah. Because I, I want to be ready to draw it at a moment. Sauron shows. Like, I, I think in many gets... ways, um, I don't know if maybe they were just trying to uh, emphasize the power that the Palantir had. Yeah. Yes. Honestly, if, if you watch the extended edition, and, and I know this yeah. probably sounds like a massive nerd, but I do not watch the movies if they are not the extended edition. Yeah, yeah right. You get to see, you get to see a bit more of that because obviously you have the moment where Pippin accidentally grabs it. Yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on the Palantir. See, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I guess, or my thought always was that they kind of try to bring those objects which are so important in the narrative and kind of get completely sidetracked in the movie. To kind well, of emphasize, you know, what's happened to Denethor and, and the, the tools that the Master of Mordor uses to essentially infiltrate anyone, mm-hmm. even people of good heart. Yeah. Well, and um, to this point, they needed a villain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and Denethor becomes that villain who sends mm-hmm. his son to death and, you know, is just completely kind of out of his Gives freaking board. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and And that's not the character in the novel, but... Hollywood no, filmmakers not. felt like, well, we need a bad guy, so they used Denethor. Yeah. And I, we, we understand that decision, but I think it tainted the character for a whole generation of... Oh, yeah, characters. absolutely. Anyway, no, so we'll, I, see, I... we'll see what they do here. But, um, and also we have Er Farazan, or Er Farazan, however you want to Yeah, exactly, his... he'll be a villain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they can, they've kind of got freedom to do what they like with that. I mean, we don't have any details, really. No, very little. But that's also the reason why that it makes me think this this show must be a lot darker than yeah. than the films. Um, and in a way, I, I kind of want to see that because when they originally announced that Guillermo del Toro was going to do the Hobbit films, I yeah. thought, whoa, that's going to be strange. Yeah. Considering yeah. that the Hobbit is a much lighter book in comparison to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, the first is half. That going to go, yeah, exactly. Is that going to go too much? onto the opposite side. Well, either way, I wouldn't mind seeing that because of course the motor, you know, is, is a genius and yeah. what he creates is, is wonderful. And I think really that's something that I wanted to see more in the story, which you appreciate constantly in the books and in the RPGs, but yeah. I don't think it comes across in the film so well, which is the idea of the shadow. Yeah. You know, the corruption that is yeah. spreading through the entire land and that is yeah. You know, it's actually perhaps one of the reasons why I love the One Ring so much. Oh, yeah. Because there is a lot of emphasis in how yeah. the shadow affects your character. It's a big mechanic. Uh, and, yeah. You know, yeah. El- Elijah Wood really sells these moments in Yeah, film. he really does. When he has, like, there's that fantastic moment where they just quote the book and he's like, 
I see it with my waking eyes all the time, Sam. I see, mm-hmm. I see the burning, the burning eye all the time. And, and, and he just does such a fantastic job of helping us to understand that, that Frodo, Frodo is given the ring. And from that point forward, his, he is being tested. His soul is on a hot griddle and is being cooked <laughs> for the entire yeah, well, yeah. book. And, and he's suffering the way that great saints of the Catholic faith suffer. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, Tolkien's a very religious writer. I think a lot of people... Forget that. Well, it, they, yeah, they either forget it or they don't see it in the first place. Because you, if you mm-hmm. read Lord of the Rings, there's no churches. There's no obvious ex- uh, conversations about God. There's no, there's no one taking a crucifixion pose, you know? Like, there's no... Mm-hmm obvious elements of faith in it and so a lot of people don't realize that that's because it's a book written about a world where where that has forgotten about god yeah all of that has already happened you know yeah or hasn't happened yet right yeah yeah exactly and 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 so he's writing about a fallen and um and so yeah it'll be interesting to see that that corruption to see if they can bring it to the to the show they certainly have an opportunity to make much of this wow. quite dark i'm interested to see you know if you remember i don't know if you remember the old middle earth stuff the middle earth role-playing game stuff but there was a a, a decision made in Merp that the witch king of angmar was our Farazan's son yes <laughs> and uh and and they i don't think that's supported by canon anywhere in tolkien no. But no, I would I'm... love to see that made in the television show. I think. Yeah, and Go I ahead. don't think it's an outrageous thing to say, to be honest. Yeah. Even though it's not canon, I can see how that could be canon. Yeah. Um, with yeah. a few tweaks here and there. I mean, well, yeah, there's, lot, there's lots of things where they've taken um, the the ring wraiths and given them different backstories because there's just nothing there already. So. Yeah, and that's and, what and, the, and... Uh, the Shadow of Mordor games did as well. Yeah, now see, this is this is one of the things that I to get back to Lily, your point about um, Guillermo del Toro doing the Hobbit. What I was really excited by that, and I thought it was the right decision, and that's because whether we liked or we didn't like del Toro's version of Tolkien, it would have been a hundred and eighty degrees apart from Jackson's vision of Tolkien. Oh yeah, absolutely. It would have given perspective, I think. And and that's that's what I want. I I don't mind when people adapt my favorite intellectual properties. I just don't want it to be the only version of that property. And, and, yeah. and I think that when people see three or four different versions of, of Gandalf on the screen, it helps. It, it makes us not take any one of them as the one true version of which all yeah. others are but shadows. And, and so I kind of want to see, uh, uh, an, in my opinion, that was one of the great flaws Jackson taking Hobbit is because basically mm. he just was doing it like he did rings. Yeah. Except when he didn't, and when he did all the new decisions, they were all terrible. Like I yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. like yeah. let's let's do it, let's do everything the same, except for when we don't do it the same, we're gonna do it terrible. Anyway. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But um but but I'm hoping that the Amazon show will really kind of have its own unique and distinctive voice. Yeah. And look. 
so that people will say, hey, like, you can do Tolkien a lot of different ways. Yeah, like, I don't want it to just kind of be, you know, New Zealand being Middle Earth again. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, having a, having a trip back. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I think, I do still think that New Zealand is, is. the perfect location for it. it. There is a few other places on the it. earth. They are, and, and a few other yeah. places. Um, for specific scenarios, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, like you said, I don't want them, you know, I, I, I if there is characters that we've already seen, I don't yeah. necessarily want them to have the same voice or the same look or well, even I the costumes. I don't want the costumes to be the same. Yeah. Because in my mind, like every single time style. I turn the page, yeah, a similar style, but in my mind, every single time I turn the page, you know, details change. Yeah. Or every single time I open the book and read it again, Maybe I decide to, you know, switch things around because, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, influences come from all parts, of course. And I am sure that subconsciously, and, and I suspect a lot of people have done, you know, since the movies were released, when you read back, you cannot help but sort of project well, some of that. Like, uh, I know people who now cannot go through The Lord of the Rings without reading Gandalf thinking Ian McKellen in their Well, you know, see, so now I'm going go, to go back to the literature and I'm going to talk about Tree and Lee. So... Yeah. If you if if you're not a Tolkien scholar, you may not have heard of this, but but <laughs> Tolkien wrote this wrote he wrote about exactly this issue because I mean yes. he was alive in the '60s and and people were asking to make movies of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit even then, and his answer was yes. I don't want to read the script. Just send me a big fat check. Check <laughs> because because he had a big family and he wasn't paid very much. And yeah. he knew that he would hate whatever the filmmaker wrote. He, he tried, he read the first uh, animated Hobbit adaptation and he hated it. And he wrote notes all over it. And then he said, never send me one of these again. <laughs> but anyway, um, he writes this wonderful bit about exactly the, the, the mental move that you're talking about, Lily, where when you read, mm. when you read about a rock or a tree or a river, you imagine a rock or a tree or a that's important to you personally. Mm -hmm. So it becomes that rock that you uh, sat on uh, to watch the sun go down when you were 12. Or that tree under which you and your family would have a picnic lunch, you know, on Sunday. Or yeah. that river where you went fishing with your father. And, and in this way, the literature becomes incredibly personal. Because you've invested mm. your own memories into it, and it can do that for every single reader in a unique and idiosyncratic way. But as soon as you make a movie out, now it's Peter Jackson's rock and Peter Jackson's yeah. river and Peter Jackson's tree, right? Yeah. And so you can't read the book in the same way anymore. Without you can't project your own associations onto it with the same ease that you would have if you had never seen the film. Absolutely. And, and so the book in some ways loses a bit of its imaginative power. And so how do we get some of that back? And the answer is, is to turn it into a multiple choice question, where at least mm -hmm. you have three different versions of rock and the river and the tree instead of just one to pick from, right? Yeah, and maybe kind of do a big pick and mix. Yeah, and maybe you can say, okay, well, if Peter Jackson can make it, and and uh, Ralph Bakshi can make it, and Amazon can make it, well, then maybe I can make it too. And now you start to re 
return to that original power of the book where it's your rock again, right? And not Peter Jackson's rock. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there are loads of different amazing interpretations. If you just look online at some people that are doing... Oh, that's a great you know, idea. Art oh, yeah. and the things artwork. like that. Yeah. You know, there's so many different styles and there's so many different things you can do. So it doesn't have to and, all be the same. And this this was not... This is one of the great answers to Tolkien's original complaint because, of course... Back in the 60s when he was writing this, um, you know, deviant art didn't exist, right? Pinterest yeah. did not exist. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, yeah, and, they just had their official illustrators for the most part. Yeah, or and now and he loved seeing. Like, there's all of these wonderful notes. I think Tom Shippey did the annotated Hobbit, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, and it's, it's filled with all of these different interpretations of, of Bilbo Baggins from international artists around the world who would all have to send their art in for Tolkien to approve. And of course, he approved almost everything, even if it was incredibly different, because he just loved seeing all the you know? And, uh, and oh yeah, what would, it, what would it be like if he could see all of the fan art uh, of these characters that's been created over the last 20 years? It's just one. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think the fact that we can go on to, to Google and, and Instagram, um, uh, Bilbo fan art, and we'll just get you know, uh, fifty pages of it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of some of stuff. it we, some of it we wish we didn't see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, on on that note, I yeah. just um, linger my eyes on uh, something that probably came from the internet. I don't actually know where it came from, but it is, and I have it hanging on the wall. Yeah, a full map of uh, not just Middle Earth, but uh, of Arda. And you know, with oh, yeah. the Undying Lands and Numenor, yeah, and everything else, and it just strikes me that probably not a lot of people have that concept in their minds. Yeah, that you know, this is a huge place. Yes. Um, you know, aside, you know, Numenor aside, and and Middle Earth aside, yes. you know, it is massive, and in a way, and I, I don't want to sound elitist. Yeah. I know this can probably come across elitist, but I don't uh, want to sound elitist. In a way, if you've only really experienced the story yeah. from the point of view of the movies or just the Lord of the Rings or just the Hobbit, yeah. you truly cannot understand what the hell is going on yeah. deep down. You kind of just get, you know, the basic, like you said, you know, the the fantasy trope. Yeah. Here is a quote. Let's go fulfill the quest. Yale, yale, yale. Lots of descriptions of trees. <laughs> Sam and Frodo having their, you know, Sam and Frodo having their moments. Legolas being a badass. Aragorn being awesome. Yeah. And Gandalf. Well, Gandalf actually. Yes. <laughs> you know, we give him a lot of credit, but if you read back The Hobbit and read back to The Lord of the Rings, yeah, you will find out that a lot of the time he just disappears and you never see yeah. him again. Yeah. You know, Ian McKellen does a lot to making Gandalf look cool. Yeah. But let's face it, when we get to Mirabook, he goes like, so long, guys. See you yeah. later. <laughs> and, and that's it. See you later. Yeah. yeah. Granted, if you have read the, um, the Unfinished Tales, you know that the side quest was completely worth it. Yeah. But you, you're missing all of that contextual. And I, I do wonder. Yeah. yeah, I do wonder if, you know, by bringing Numenor into the story and maybe by releasing these maps, you know, a lot of people have kind of, yeah. Or, or the show creators have hoped to make people understand that this is not just 
the story that they know. It's and this is not just the Lord of the Rings. And, and in the, it is, in fact, not the Lord of the Rings, if you yeah. know, if we are and being honest. There are a lot of different interpretations, though, as well. Even, like, you're talking about that map there. I think the one you have yeah. on your wall is the uh, the so-called lung map that a lot of yes. Tolkien nerds have trouble with. Uh, yeah. Because it gets a lot I'm of I'm not saying wrong. it's perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying it's pretty. <laughs> some great maps out there. The... Um, the, oh, uh, yeah, I've touched on a subject that I love. Oh, well, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, Lily. I think this is a fantastic opportunity for a lot of <laughs> you know, This is a wonderful opportunity to bring a lot of people to Middle Earth and show them that there's that it's just so much bigger and deeper and richer than, than they've ever heard of or even imagined. The, and you're absolutely right that I think to really appreciate everything in that Lord of the Rings novel, and it's one novel, not three, for anyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to really understand it, you kind of have to go and read a bunch of Tolkien's other work, much of it, most of it, unpublished during his own life. And I'll just use mm. one example. In, in the wonderful chapter, Shadow of the Past, early on in the Fellowship of the Ring, it's a big, long exposition chapter. It's where Gandalf is explaining to Frodo where the ring is from and, and, and how it came to him. And, uh, and he's explaining... That Bilbo found the ring, and Frodo's like, why, why did he ever find the ring? How did such terrible luck ever happen? And Gandalf's <laughs> like, I, I don't think that's what's going on here, Frodo. He says, I think that actually he was meant to find the ring. Hmm. And, you, and he was meant to give it to you. And Frodo's like, what are you talking about? I don't even get it. Like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. And that's because this an idea that there could be a greater force out there. And of course, he's talking about God. He's talking about Iluvatar, right? Yeah. That, that, that there's, a, there's a kind of guiding hand, a benevolent guiding hand that is slowly steering the people of Middle-earth to solve this terrible, unsolvable problem. 100%. And, 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 and it's, but that hand is so remote that nobody even perceives it. Yeah. Now Gandalf there's, knows what it is. There's not any worship, is there? That's right. Yeah. The, no. the closest you ever get the closest you ever get is when Faramir and the other rangers of Athelion stare mm -hmm. out the window of their sacred refuge and, and they sort of have silent prayer for about a minute, right? Yeah. We don't, we don't talk. We just kind of had this moment of silence. And, and yeah. so Frodo can't even understand the idea that there is a god. And, and Gandalf has to say, look, you're just going to have to trust me on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, you know, it's um, on that same note, it's like, you know, when... I, I can't remember now if it's in the new Hobbit film, in the extended edition or yeah. in the normal one, where, because they're talking about the White Council and whatnot, yeah. and I can't remember if it's one of the dwarves or someone else that asks Gandalf, you know, if it's just him and Saruman. Right. Um, sort of in that position of yeah. being wizards. And obviously he makes reference of being others, but no more. Right. Um, and, and just, you know, there is kind of hints here and there as to yeah. why the hell is Gandalf even here? Why is Gandalf so special? That's right. Um, you know, how do we even explain the fact that there is Gandalf, who supposedly is human, but he ain't. Right. Yet most people would think Gandalf is just an ordinary dude that came out of a cave with a hat, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a piece of parchment and just knew a lot of stuff. Well, no freaking way. He was yeah. actually sent on an almighty mis mission that he didn't want to go to, by the right. way. Right, right, right. Um, and found himself dealing with all of this crap. 
and the same for Saruman, and the same for the other three Radagast. wizards. Radagast. Exactly. Radagast. Yeah. Where do we get Radagast from? <laughs> you know, Rad and, and why does Saruman hate Radagast so much? Um, yeah. that, that origin story of them too, I think, is wonderful. And Although it's probably... I think the the wizards, the the star, come a lot later than yeah. We're not going to see the show's going to do, unfortunately. Well, we're not. But yeah, I no, guess they could mess them with sadly. things a bit. <laughs> sadly, they don't. Well, they I mean, don't arrive. At, they don't arrive until around the year one thousand of the third age. Yeah. So we're yeah, exactly. which is yeah, a few thousand years later. <laughs> now, in it's... theory, in theory, we could see those same people in their non-wizard form. True. Well, yeah, because they were hanging around. So, like, what was Gandalf's name? Uh, it starts with an O. Oloran. 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 So, in theory, somebody could be playing Oloran, the Maiar, who is visiting Numenor. But, yep. but, but that, would be a, that would be kind of a reach. But it would yeah. be... It, would yeah, it makes it easy to not have to rely on in the canon. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's right. like a different character. Yeah. And or or in general, just the fact that as we know, the Mayar like the Valar and like Sauron himself, because essentially that's what he is. They're yeah, shapeshifters. Yeah. So they can just change form and be whatever they want. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Sauron has been what? A big lord with armor and a weird mask and a big mace, and he's been a vampire, he's been half yep. a, were werewolf been a werewolf or werewolf, right. whatever he was. Been he's been just a ghost. A dude, a ghost, an elf like person. What? Yeah, he's been many things. Interestingly, and, you know, what what seems to be the rule, and I don't know this for sure, is that if he, whatever form he's killed in, he can never take yes. that form again. Yeah. Okay, so well, that one. If he's well, so for example, we're told that after the fall of New, he could never return in a fair shape again. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So he, he had to always be ugly. I presume that's what Tolkien means when he says no fair shape. No um, fair shape, yeah. Uh, and, and although he's a vampire, like a vampire bat or something, yeah. we never yeah. see him adopt that shape again later. No. So no, I, it don't. seems yeah. to be sort of a, it's an interesting trope, and I kind of dig it. The idea that I can't kill Sauron, but I can kill this version of Sauron. This version yeah. of Sauron, yeah, absolutely, and and it makes sense. I mean, you know, if if you think about what the Maya really are and and yeah. the Valar themselves, can you truly kill an entity of such dimensions? Well, there's also probably basically not. no. Yeah, there's also um, this really I mean, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking of Paradise Lost. Forgive me while I get all Brit lit for, but the character of Satan goes through these physical transformations yeah. in Paradise Lost. Where he starts off as this giant, colossal, angelic figure, and then he turns into, uh, he adopts a regular angel, and then he turns into a snake, and then he, and, and every step of the way, he kind of becomes smaller and meaner. And, and that's a very Tolkien... <laughs> yeah, actually. That's a very Tolkien trope, where the, the whole world is declining. And every yeah. generation is a little bit smaller and less impressive than the generation before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one thing with this series. You know, they can go a bit more grand. In it, that's right. That's right. It, it's a. Um, in many ways, it's a. It's a very exciting chance to do something really new with Tolkien. Yeah. And uh, and I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. <laughs> yeah. For me, ultimately, I'm not gonna expect anything. Um, I'm hoping it'll be good, but 
Um, we'll see, because I've yeah, been let down by too many things <laughs> in the last few years. You know, I think, Star I think Wars, all we can really The do Hobbit, yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, I don't yeah, have much I hope think all things. we can really do <laughs> realistically is just have wishful thinking. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I mean, I guess hope for the best. Maybe prepare for the worst. Yeah, and and maybe you know it's easier for some of us that may have a background that is different than the movies because you can see the possibilities, right? Yeah. Um. So I I really hope that that comes across to the people that are, you know, waiting for the show to come out, um, and whatnot because I know it's caused a lot of friction in the actual community. I mean, I mean, right. well. We've, we've talked about this before, right? Nerds being upset because the one thing they wanted to be there isn't there. Well, I yeah. mean, you, you can't really have your ego that high up. Yeah, but, I yeah. mean, I, I can be a bit like that, but I'm not that harsh, so I'm, I'm open to... No, and, and at the end of the day, you also need to remember that it's all adaptation, and adaptation is not perfect. No. Um, but then again, you know, I that maybe it comes with the trade. I kind of have to be very aware of how adaptations <laughs> happen, so... Maybe I've just, you know, swallowed the happy pills and yeah. gone with it. Yeah, ultimately, um, we have to not try to judge this by the book. We have to judge it as its own thing, right? Yeah, because exactly. the book is always going to be the best version of itself. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think I can say that the movie or an adaptation has been better than the book in very few occasions. Right. Um, and the ones that are, are perhaps, yeah, I think maybe not better is the right word, but sort of, but exceptional or yeah. well, interesting. Yeah, are they good movies? Right, like that's all we come down yeah, to. Yeah. Like, are they, if, if we're gonna watch, you know, a Harry Potter, for example, is it setting aside the novel? Is it a good movie? Like, does it tell a good movie story? Right, like that, and that's right. hard. That's so hard for us because we want to compare it to the the our our favorite works. Um, yeah, Game of Thrones is a great example because it's so different than the novels in so many ways uh how you know but but ultimately we have to say well but is it a good television show mm -hmm. and i guess the you you probably tell me alex you you would know better than i haven't i haven't even watched the entire series i think um the, the for us to jason i suspect the biggest comparison is with superheroes right sure because you know I read comic book 1000 whatever and this <laughs> never happened you know it's it's the typical reaction and there is there is a lot of hatred um, when these things come out, and it it bothers me. You know, yeah. aren't we nerds, geeks, aficionados, whatever word you want to yeah. use, supposed to be? You know, a bit more kind and open minded towards yeah. these things and whatnot. Yeah. But I I really hope that you know the product, the end result is decent and that it's it's fun yes. because at the end of the day you know if i want to read the book i can do it any other point that's right this is you see the cool story you know and interesting exactly from a different perspective <laughs> uh, well right well on that note guys i'm very aware that we are oh, running no, out of time okay <laughs> fair enough fair enough well this this it would it would not be a true tolkien podcast if not want to go five hours right <laughs> well exactly we'll have to um, go so, again when it's out well indeed <laughs> episode but, um, <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be bad. I mean, if they managed to release it that quickly. I, th I think it's going to be out episode 20 2021, year. though. Yeah, I think it may be a bit ambitious. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we can prolong it until then. But <laughs> we'll see. But, um, I, you know, following following the tradition that we've implemented now for several podcasts, um, I guess the nice way of wrapping up this round, and I appreciate this could probably take us on a very long tangent, so let's try to stick to, you know, abridged versions of whatever we say. I think it would be, uh, you know, out of all of the 
Tolkien lore. Yes. What are your favorite episodes, chapters, scenes, story, whatever? Oh, okay. What's your, your truly favorite the, one? And I know it's difficult to pick one. I've been very... trying to think for it for the last 10 minutes. Oh, and I haven't quite You're decided yet. You're now. You could have given us some forewarning. Yeah, that, that's, that's um, fine. All, all right. Well, I, I can't say one. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself three moments from Tolkien. Mm -hmm. The first the first one. Yeah, is, okay. three three most is fine. Yeah, I, go on. <laughs> three. So the first one is when Mary comes to Theoden, the king, and he says, "You will be like a father to me." Theoden says, uh, "Yeah." Theoden says, "For a little while." <laughs> <laughs> And that, that line is making me cry even just now. Uh, I, because Theoden knows that his time is coming. Yeah. And he can't bear to break Mary's little heart. <laughs> and I just, uh, all I can see now is just him dying in the Yes. With Theoden holding him. It's really making me tear up. Oh. Um, <laughs> then, then I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say, you shall not pass. The, oh, yeah. The the moment where Gandalf holds the bridge against the Balrog was seared into my brain as a kid, Me and I, it's such a heroic moment. And yeah. the whole scene is just so well done. And this is a great example of Jackson just really nailed it. Yeah, he did yes, a fantastic, he did a wonderful job, and and uh, and I love that bit. And then my last my last moment, and there's so many, I can't believe I'm stopping at three, but. <laughs> it is is I am no man. Like when when Eowyn pulls yes. off her helmet, and she laughs, and 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 I'm like, and the reason why I love that bit is not only because it's a great scene, but because it is Tolkien flipping off Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Because it's Tolkien saying, "Look, Shakespeare, if you're gonna have a prophecy that says a guy can cannot be killed by man." Uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, fucking do it right, right? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and, absolutely. And 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 I love that communication between two writers whom I both love. And I'm not casting any aspersions on Shakespeare. For God's sakes, I I did nothing but Shakespeare for years. But I yeah. I, I love that scene. Eowyn will always be my number one heart crush. I, I <laughs> so I'm uh that I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. Okay. All right, so so to make it easier, should we just stick to the movies and the Lord of the Rings, or how, uh, I was gonna, is the is the uh, issue of just talking over you have, too much? You already set the rules. So you already set the rules. We have to go by the rules you set. What what are any, you going with, Alex? Any uh, any talking is fine. Any talking, any talking. Uh, yeah, well, I don't have exact like moments, but maybe more like characters. Yeah, yeah, characters is fine. Um, uh, you know, I love Elrond. Ah, uh, you're an Elrond's boy. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Do you know Elrond, how you said earlier, Elrond. Jason, that you, if you ever had a man crush, it would have been that picture of um, yes, Rainbow. But if if Alex ever had a man crush, it would be Elrond in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Well, like if Elrond I mean, materialized at home now, I mean, Alex, just go who would blame you? It's yeah. Elrond. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Come on, yeah. I'd I'd follow that that man into the fires of Mount Doom. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he will throw himself into the fires of Mount Doom for that. <laughs> but yeah, no, just him, you know, being there for such a long time. You know, he's not as old as some of the other elves that have been around for such a long time. But, you know, he's he's been there with some key moments and 
the the first time I tried to run a Lord of the Rings campaign, it was set during the time period when Elrond's wife is abducted by orcs. Yeah. Mm, yes. You remember that? And the, and the players are like recruited to scout and try to rescue her. Ah, awesome. And that that was my that was my awesome. kickstart for my campaign. That's cool. So yeah, El- Elrond's a great character and he's kind of the quintessential quest giver. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's like the law master, you know. He is. Like that. Like every every like, yeah, every you know, one you, of you us. You've got a problem, you go to Elrond. He'll figure it out. Exactly. Yeah, it yes. kind of it kind of yeah. makes me feel kind of that, more so than Gandalf you know, and I'm I'm kind of just imagining, like, just take a moment, breaching the fourth wall. This was, you know, Elrond all along was the DM. Yeah. And those were blokes. <laughs> you, you know, see I'd, what I mean? I'd love him he, to be, you know, a like really narrator. If, if yeah. That was the thing. Like, for this series, if there were, if it was framed in that way. Then... Oh, that's a, that, would that would be, be cool. interesting. It would be no. for him to be the narrator for the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, going slightly more obscure, um, does anyone remember the character Sador? Yes. How uh, could I not? Your own workshop is named named after him. Yeah. After him. Uh, Remind yeah. me who Sador is. Sador is the carpenter character in the House of Hurin. Um, oh wow! I don't I don't know this character. Yeah, he was he was like a sort of like a friend and a bit of a mentor to Turin when he was a kid growing up. Oh, nice. Um, and I believe he nicknamed him Labadal or something like that because he had one mm-hmm. foot. He'd, he'd lost oh. a foot. And, um, uh, yeah, what else about the character? He uh, he ends up essentially sacrificing himself. Yeah, he pretty much he he stays back, doesn't he, yeah. when the attack happens? But he's just like an old carpenter with one foot. And, you know, it's like, is, his, gonna... is his name spelled S A T O R? S A D O R. Oh, D- Sador. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, him being a carpenter character, and I personally got into like woodworking and things like that. Ah, right on. I started up my shop, which is called uh, Sador's Vice. Uh, oh, so it's named after him. Well, um, well done. Well yeah. done, sir. So, yeah, I love that guy. He's such a minor character, but he's like, you know, important. He was a big influence on Turin. Well, that, that's a very Tolkien theme, right? Like, often the, the mm. small things are the most important, right? Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, and then, oh, I don't know if I could pick a third, really. Like, for, like, moments. Um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think I might have to stop there. I don't know, disappointingly. All right, good. Stop there. pick things out. <laughs> we can't... Oh, no, that means I have to choose. <laughs> we can't follow the <laughs> Lily, it's all on you now. Ah, gosh, okay. Well, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that one of my all-time favorite stories of Tolkien is is Children of Orin in general. Mm. But the story of Turin Turambar, the Black Sword, is epic because it's not just the fact that the story itself in the Tolkien version is epic, and I can't help but cry every single time. Like, the last time or one of the latter times I was reading it, I remember this clearly. I was flying back from Copenhagen yeah. after having had an epic time seeing all things Viking. So obviously I was deep, you know, yeah. I was deep yeah. in the in the Tolkien background. Yeah. You were primed. And here I am, yeah. Here I am, about 15 minutes away from London. <laughs> and I am reading the moment in which he realizes that everything is is just a lie. 
and you know he's been with his sister and all of this comes up ah and i'm just there like no we've been here too many times and there i am crying this in spanish of course because although <laughs> the book although the book is in english yeah the first time i read the silmarillion was in spanish and although the translation was awful you know the, the feelings i get when i get emotional it, it comes in spanish still yeah. so yeah. i was ranting spanish in the middle of the plane that's what completely in my own world like people around me must have thought who the fuck is this woman and what's wrong with her I think that's <laughs> but that's that's one of my you know favorite stories of all times i, I think it's so powerful it's... and as a standalone story i yeah. think it kind of summarizes a bit what the not just the lord of the rings in in a way but the concept middle earth and of the world Tolkien was really trying to move yeah you know what i think is what i think is wonderful is a lot of people you know we, we've already mentioned michael moorcock's elric of melna when they want yeah party. of course but but you know many people think of moorcock as being the anti-tolkien that he was trying mm. to do intentionally what tolkien was not doing but of course mm -hmm. elric of melna and turin of turambar are both based on they, the same myth mm. of course yes and, and yeah. This comes from um, a book that Christopher Tolkien recently released, which is the story of Kulervo, which yeah. is part of the great epic of uh, Finland, from which the original concept of the One Ring is also borrowed oh, from. Yeah. So all of this fits into it. I have the Kalevala here, if anyone yeah. is interested in reading it. It's a very long poem. It takes about 800 pages. It's epic. You should certainly read it. If not, there is a wonderful um, opera um, that gives you the entire story of, of Kulervo and the horrible things the poor chap goes through. But in any case, I just think it's so quintessentially dramatic and dynamic because it's a story in which everything happens. You know, you have love, you have betrayal, you have yeah, death yeah. and epicness and, and the heroic, you know, the, the hero, which actually turns up being the anti-hero and this very tragic yeah. figure that you cannot help but think bloody hell this guy has gone through everything and doesn't get anything at the end of it yeah if... you know it's it's one of the things that when people tell me oh whatever did Tolkien about killing characters i go like you can <laughs> shut up yeah. <laughs> you can shut you up you don't know man <laughs> if yeah. i know if a man knew about putting someone through a trial that was certainly yeah Tolkien. and if anyone's um, gonna but... adapt something from the first age let's hope it's that yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I guess perhaps the the episode of of Turin Turambar is is a bit um, not stereotypical, but I guess perhaps a bit more mainstream than some of the other bits that I really really love. I think um, going really back here, you know, to the sort of the first time when um, Ulmo approaches the Alps oh, yeah. on the coast, and he, you know the elves kind of start to understand that they are not alone in the world and you you kind of get this very exciting feeling that you know oh my god something epic is about to happen and you know two <laughs> worlds are going to meet and yeah and this happens but then it's not so much that moment but the bittersweetness of when the elves go back and you know they look up at the stars and they remember how everything was back in Valinor and that original moment that connection that they had with Valar and all of that is lost yeah. because of the the curse of Feanor and and his sons. Yeah. And this is something where Alex hates me, but I am a one hundred percent supporter of Feanor and his kind, <laughs> and I think they were awesome. And yes, okay, maybe they mess up things a bit, but <laughs> but I would like to point out that there would be no story 
if that one guy wouldn't have said, Oi, you, I ain't having you ruling us over. Because essentially, Morgoth was treating anyone like if they were their playthings. And it is this one elf, this one fiery elf that says, Nah, mate, I'm here for the run and I'm going to make you suffer. And he makes an entire book out of it. And yeah. I think it's epic. You know, the, the entire the entire run of, of Feanor and, and his uh, his children yeah, and how that plays out then in Middle-earth is very important. But to me, really, the, the epic moment, and there is a song that I absolutely adore by one of my favorite bands, which is Blind Guardian, yep. which is based in this episode, which is Blood Tears, uh -huh. which is when they have to go and rescue Maedros, who is hanging from the wall from his wrist. Yeah. And his best mate has to go and essentially cut him to release him and this just mm. brings the older back together but it also causes this trauma and changes the fate of everything that that story every time i come back to it because it's it's quite a turbulent period because this happens and then obviously you move a bit later on and then eventually engulfing ends up dying in this epic fight and it's just tear after tear i can't help it <laughs> i can't help it but that uh, moment you know Noldor, the... just troublemakers <laughs> <laughs> this moment of, of just having to cut off Maedra's hand to set him free after the misery he's been through. The, the, the song, the song is called Blood Tears by Blind Guardian. It just, good. It just essentially makes, makes it mean, all into album, this three-minute piece. Nightfall in yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, but this, this song, it just makes it so heartfelt. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's, um, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's time. That's all we have time oh, for I'll today, sadly. We could probably... <laughs> Oh, okay, uh, fine. You go on. You're very quickly. Uh, the the, <laughs> the king of the the Sindar, Thingol. 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 Yes. Yeah. He's more my kind of elf, you know, yeah. not like them damn Noldor. Coming into well, his you land. Well, you say the Noldor are troublemakers, but if it wasn't, it how dare you? <laughs> if it wasn't because Thingol was, if it wasn't because Thingol was an arrogant prick. <laughs> Beren and Luthien would have had a much easier job. You know, I, what I love about, the, about Thingol and about, and of course, I'm not surprised that you like Thingol because he and Elrond have a lot in yes. common. Well, absolutely. They both don't approve of their daughter's boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And they, they, re, they intentionally repeat that whole story. Well, the yeah, beautiful know, yeah. part about that is, yeah. is that it's rooted in Tolkien's own autobiography. Yeah. Yeah. Because his wife's, his future wife's father, would not let him like him court yeah. court her, and he had to basically prove himself and wait. Of course, he didn't have to wait fifty years or however long you know Aragorn <laughs> had to wait. Uh, but that's a wonderful element of of Tolkien taking his own story and putting it into this fantastic setting. And and uh, this is why you know every the most beautiful people in Middle Earth all have. Uh, gray eyes and black hair, and why? Yeah, because Tolkien's wife had gray eyes and black hair. Gray eyes and black yeah. hair. And I love that aspect of the novel. It's like the fact that Tolkien's autobiography is quietly woven into all of these great aspects of yeah. the myth, including Thingol and Elrond. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also very sweet, and it shows that it is. It is really sweet. He wasn't really writing these stories yeah. to be, I guess, famous and whatever. It was, you know, Lily, you started yeah. this conversation by talking about how you were afraid of the spiders coming up from behind your bed. Absolutely. And the whole reason why there are spiders in The Hobbit is because Tolkien's son was terrified of spiders. Son was mm. scared, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's all about autobiography. Don't they uh, 
Tolkien and his wife on their graves have um, Beren, Beren and Luthien. It's like Beren and Luthien, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's very sweet. Thank you so much for having me on the show. That's all right. Thank you for coming on board again. And um, thank you for everyone out there listening. I appreciate we may have gone a bit over time than usual, <laughs> but um, this was long coming and there will be part two for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. It is there, but, you know, I, I'm going to take also time now, guys, to not just thank you, Alex, for having been doing with me for a long time and, and Jason for having been here with us today, but everyone listening, because, you know, episode 10, um, we never really thought we would get this far and it's it's really encouraging. So thank you all of you for all of the support for all of this, you know, hard work because, yeah. you know, we've had better times and harder times, but here we are and too many more. Yeah. So and thank you so much. Thanks to all the people that have been on the podcast. We've had incredible yes, people on to there. Absolutely everyone, everyone and more people come back. And, um, you know, it's really made this podcast much more interesting that I think we could have made it, you know, otherwise, you know, it's great having you here, Jason, and, and also being able to have connections with other people yeah. that have been, like I said, you know, you you know, John and, and Chuck. And oh. Mike has been with us, you know, for a long ride. And so has my friend Jack, who it's is been an amazing person in, in general, and a few others, like well, the two Nicks, which are not yeah. here, and the Tarot, you know. Well, thanks to you, Lily, for bringing all these people here. Phone. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know anyone, it's all you. <laughs> this well, podcast would exist maybe... otherwise. Maybe, maybe like the ring getting to Frodo. Maybe it was just meant to be. Yeah, that's so, that's good answer. There you go. So there you go. That's all for today. Thank you so much, and see you in the next one, which will be in the new year. So stay yes. tuned. All right. Bye. 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 Okay, we'll end there. Uh, I can't see my keyboard. Hang on. I'm in the dark. <laughs> it's because I'm in the dark. <laughs> I like darkness, uh. but it has its downsides.